our focus is going to be in what are the thoughts you're having right now? What are the emotions you're having right now? And how can we keep your attention in the present so you don't have to compartmentalize or push away something? You can okay. simply, you, you can accept it, that radical acceptance. Yes. Right. The, the, it, within the field of performance psychology, the biggest thing that I consider insanity is trying to control things we can't control. Okay. All right. So if I'm using energy, trying to control an emotion, control another person, control a thought, push it away, try to deny that I'm having it, then I'm putting a lot, a lot of effort and energy into that. And it's going to come back. Correct. Like, I'm not going to get you to forget about some form of trauma. Right. Nobody is. Right. But I can teach you to be a person who pursues their values in the present moment focuses on what they're doing with their time now, what they're doing with their thoughts, their emotions, their experiences, and how to live a full life um, despite what all those types of experiences. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited to announce the launch of our new Soba is Dope YouTube channel. We have an amazing new channel that's a supplement and visual aid to the Sober is Dope podcast. So everyone that listens to the podcast, please go over to YouTube, type in Sober is Dope. You're going to see the white icon. Subscribe and check out all of our new episodes. We have 41 amazing episodes, everything from motivational speeches from mindfulness meditation music to live episodes and interviews with the many amazing guests that's on the podcast. So we are excited to give you guys this visual experience to the podcast. And we're going to put a lot of resources on the Sober's Dope World YouTube channel that's not going to be on the podcast. So I want you guys not to miss out. So if you're new or you're a veteran, of the Sober's Dope podcast, please support us and, and just take a look at the YouTube, subscribe, check it out, save it because I'm going to add a lot of value there and I'm very excited. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone in the Sober's Dope community. It's Pop Buchanan, and I'm very excited to bring another special guest to the Sober's Dope podcast community. Today's special guest is Dr. John R. L. Evans, Ph.D. John is a certified mental performance consultant, and in this episode, we discuss mental health acceptance commitment therapy, recovery from depression and anxiety, neuroplasticity, brain therapy, training the hippocampus, performance therapy, and much more. I am extremely excited to continue our talk with the Blend team. We just did an episode with the founder, Brooke Buys, and I was really excited to link with Dr. John today. 
a little bit about Dr. John R. L. Evans, Ph.D. John is a certified mental performance consultant. Along with a master's degree in counseling psychology, John earned a doctorate in kinesiology, sport and performance psychology from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Working alongside a wide range of athletes and elite performers, John also worked seven years with the U.S. Army Special Operation Forces, training mental performance and human engagement skills. John sees clients for mental skills, development for performance in sports and other areas in Ann Arbor, Royal Oak, and Kalamazoo, Michigan. He's also available for virtual coaching wherever you're based. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, Blend delivers accessible, personalized mental health experiences through innovative therapy and professional coaching to improve quality of life. I am so excited to catch up with Dr. John R. L. Evans. He's extremely inspirational and his unique look at healing and mental health and therapy, it just changed my view of the process. And I think you guys will get a real kick out of this episode. There's a lot of value here. And John brought it for the SoBiz Dope community. So with no further ado, I'm very excited for you guys to hear my talk about acceptance, commitment, therapy, and much more with John R.L. Evans, Ph.D. today on the SoBiz Dope podcast. Enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I'm very excited to have a very special guest on the podcast today. Today, we have a member of the Blend team, and we just did an episode with the founder of Blend, Brooke Buys, and we have one of the members, John Evans, PhD, who's a certified mental performance consultant and the Director of Mental Conditioning. So I'm very excited to talk to John today. John, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Pop. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me, John. I'm going to get right into it because we have a lot to cover. All right. Uh, I would like you to really, for everyone in the community, can you just, we're just going to go back to the basics a little bit. Can we talk about what is mental health? I want to start there. What is mental health? Um... Man, I think mental health in general, and I think it differs based on, you know, the kind of the theoretical orientation you subscribe to. But for me, mental health is about emotional and experiential acceptance as opposed to avoidance. Okay. And it's about cognitive diffusion, meaning can we recognize that thoughts are just thoughts, but not things that dictate our lives? Mm -hmm. So for me, mental health is the understanding and awareness that we cannot really control our thoughts and emotions. We can only control our reaction to them. And the more and more people try to control their thoughts, control their emotions, avoid emotions and avoid experiences uh, because of that, the more I think mental health deteriorates. So there's a ton of literature, ton of stuff that connects the idea that experiential emotional acceptance, um, you know, to the whole range of human emotion, is what actually creates happiness, not this idea now that you gotta feel good all the time. So I think that has contributed to this idea that 
if I have to feel good to be happy and to not be depressed, and if I don't feel good, then I'm depressed. Well, we're not going to feel good all the time. Correct. So, you know, the, the ability to kind of accept that and feel the whole range of human emotion and experiences is, is what I consider to be the kind of the cornerstones of mental health. I love that. And um, in my case, and most of the audience of the sober community, we have to deal with the, we have to accept the reality that drugs and alcohol are not going to make us happy. They're going to lead to the trauma, the depression, and the sadness. And once we accept that we can have a natural life outside of addiction, then the healing begins. So I could definitely identify. Can you explain acceptance commitment therapy to us and how that works with your patients and the mental health community? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I and so the two main cornerstones to act are experiential and emotional acceptance and cognitive diffusion. And it, essentially the bottom line is what we're trying to help people do is live a valued life, right? I might be one of the, and so my background is in performance psychology. I have a master's in counseling, um, spent a very short period of time in general mental health field, and then went into sport and performance consulting and counseling. And the bottom line is that and especially during this pandemic a lot of people's goals have been put on hold or worse dashed against the rocks and so without goals whether it's recovery or football performance or job performance um financial stability whatever it is without those goals people have kind of lacked some direction and so within act what we do is we focus on values a value I can do anytime. I can behave in ways that align with my core values, and that's what creates success and fulfillment in the eyes of, the, of, the, of an ACT practitioner. So our bottom line is living a more meaningful life by pursuing our values, mm. right? And often that doesn't mean comfort, okay. right? Often it is uncomfortable to pursue our values. This morning, I got up at 6.15 to do my workout that my personal trainer designed for me. I was not comfortable getting up. I did right. not want to get out of bed That's and right. do that uh, this morning at 6.15 a.m. Right? But I did it despite thoughts like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to wake up. And the idea that I can control having those thoughts is crazy to me. But that I can, I can separate from that, from my, that, my, myself from that thought and still get up and do my workout that pursues my values of competition, of connection, of family, and kind of being able to play with my kid and being healthy for a long period of time. So I can pursue my values even without having a goal. Brooke and I both signed up for a, a triathlon that was supposed to happen in June. Okay. That obviously got canceled. Yes. So without that goal, do I then lose direction? So mm -hmm. ACT would tell us, find your values and figure out ways to pursue those values and make what we call towards moves that move us toward our values as opposed to away from our values. And when we have thoughts and emotions and situations that come up that are likely to move us away from our values, we have to be able to diffuse from that, accept those emotional states and still be able to make decisions that move us in a valued direction. That's the essence of ACT. And it, it incorporates a couple of different components, mindfulness being a huge component of that. Um, in order to live a full, meaningful life based on our values. Is it difficult to help an individual identify these values and what's the process like? Um, well, 
I use a big deck of cards called the Life Compass cards, and they're it's a it's a cool way to do it. You have to be in person, so I've had to use like value like language banks for a while. Mm-hmm. But best thing is to be able to use these cards, and you go through a series of questions and prompts and help them sometimes in a very uncomfortable process to kind of whittle down this list of like a hundred values down to five to seven. Uh, It's hard because you look at words like honesty, integrity, freedom, independence, truth, and, you know, health. And you think, well, these are all great things, but we got to boil down to what drives you, what makes you, live the way you live what 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 do you see that as what you'd like to aspire to and how you'd love to behave in this world and how you'd love others to behave and so there's a series of questions that we go through and we kind of boil it all down and condense it all down until you get to about five to seven and so often people ask me like why five to seven why can't i have 20 values mm-hmm. well one of the reasons is that one of the ways that i believe that genuine anxiety really takes a hold of us is when we have value conflicts. Mm. And so if I got 20 core values, I'm going to have value conflicts a lot, right? So five to seven values really distills it down to look, if I have the value of friendship and integrity, and I have a friend that does something that's not aligned with integrity, I've got a bit of a value conflict and an anxiety Mm created there that says, okay, which one am I going to prioritize in this situation? Got and it. it should be contextual, right? Not, it shouldn't be every time integrity wins and every time friendship wins, but you know, those, that's just an example of where we can run into really, really um, big anxiety based on these value conflicts. So we distill all these down, but, but the next step is what do I do with them? Correct. Right. I got to find a way to, make these values actionable. So if I've got a value of openness, competition, connection, those are three of my core values, then I need to find behaviors that I can search out every day to align myself and move myself toward that value. The value becomes a cardinal direction, right? You can't reach, you can't accomplish a value, right? I could walk west on this earth forever and never reach west. (laughs) yes that's right Right? that's deep but i can always go west and i know that if west is a value of mine then i'm feeling fulfilled and energized and good about that that journey i love that because it gives it's like a a compass for people you know to get into a place where you know it's a direction where you know you have some feedback and value in, like for me, I have, being in recovery, I have to have structure. I have to state what my West is sobriety, right? And some days it's going to be hard. Some days it's going to be impossible. But I know as long as I, I get through that day, then I feel accomplished. And that helps me. That helps me a lot. Put things into a healthy perspective. Well, honestly, Pop, if you don't mind me, Uh, kind of just giving you some feedback on that i I would say that sobriety is your is like is your like san francisco if i'm going west (laughs) right but perseverance family i don't know what drives you to to keep moving west yeah but whatever it was that you finally you said man i've got to be sober this recovery thing is something that i need to do as a part of my life something drove you to that whether it was family or job or finance whatever it was 
that's that uh, that's that cardinal direction that continues to drive you toward and keep you on the path on that uh, kind of road toward and always moving toward um, sobriety, which you know is from what I understand is not just a one-stop shop. It's a every day. There's there's it's stuff every to be day. done. It's everyday work. And I think for me, my value, when I hit that rock bottom point and I had to make a decision, I valued myself and my life. I didn't want to mm-hmm. die. And yeah. I didn't want to live in this um, low vibration and this dark reality anymore. It wasn't me. I, it wasn't part of my true self. And I just got, it was just so disgusting to be in that realm, right? Mm-hmm. And when I got to a point where I couldn't do it no more, I just said to God, I said, I had to really connect to a higher power, but I had to really say, look, I need help. And this is not it. It's not where I want to be. I want to be restored back. You know what I mean? I went to college. I graduated, had an amazing career, couple of rough patches, depression, some losses, and then bam, not realizing I was allergic to alcohol to that extent. The alcohol fused with the negative emotions, the loss and the trauma and the pain just led to a bad two years. And that almost took my life and I didn't want to die. So I had to fight. I had to reconnect to that. Um, mm-hmm. And so many people have to. So let's, uh, that, that brings me to depression overall. So what fascinates me about acceptance, commitment, therapy, and everything that you're doing and these, these feelings of being stuck, angry, sad, unaccomplished, people not knowing where to go, it leads them to depression, which brings them to want the therapy, right? So mm-hmm. the, I'm a normal person. I, let's just say I'm not where I want. So this is the theme that I want to talk about a lot. And I think this is a broad theme for everyone. You're at a point in your life now where you're not quite where you thought you were going to be. You're not quite accomplished. Things are not necessarily going your way. You're not financially where you want to be. And you just saw Abraham Maslow of hierarchy of needs, that (laughs) self-fulfilling need, right, that we all yearn for. When we don't have that, that leads to real depression, right? Mm -hmm. And this is global. So in your studies and in your case, um, how does that work for like the, what would you say to that normal person who just, they seem normal on the outside, but they don't feel accomplished and they just killing themselves and beating themselves up. What advice can we say to them? Well, it's funny you bring up Maslow um, because, you know, as one of the grandfathers of humanistic tradition of, of therapy, I'm also, I started in the humanistic traditions under, uh, you know, the, the kind of theoretical orientation of Carl Rogers, who said, basically, we have an ideal self and we have our actual self. Okay. And the farther those are apart, the more dysregulated, the more anxious, depressed, whatever, whatever kind of words you want to uh, ascribe to it, we are. Yeah. So the, the goal then is how do we kind of close the gap? And maybe you'll never get here, right. but how do we close that gap to make your ideal self as close to your actual self as possible, moving you up the the the, hi, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs to self towards self actualization, um, and I think one of those things is to fully recognize that, and and you brought it up a m- many times, and it's something that I it's so hard to get people, especially who've already had therapy, uh, to kind of change this mindset that. I don't even deal in an act. We don't really deal with positive and negative thoughts or emotions, mm, right? Okay. We deal with, is the thought helpful or unhelpful? Is this emotion helpful or unhelpful? Uh, when I played soccer in college and my wife 
now, who was my girlfriend at the time, watched me play in an, an alumni game back uh, where I went to undergrad. And she, after the game, she was like, I don't know who that angry man was on the soccer field, but I didn't know. I don't really know if I liked him very much. Mm. And what I was said was like, look, anger is not anger and kind of aggression and elevated, uh, you know, physiology is how I played soccer the most effectively. Okay. That's not my life. And anger, this negative emotion was very helpful and, and facilitative for me playing soccer. So in other words, the context is what determines whether a thought or an emotion is helpful or unhelpful, workable or unworkable. There is, I don't, I just don't say it's one of the parts of mindfulness and act that we're trying to get out of people. And this mm -hmm. is the advice I would give is judgment. judgment. Right? Let's let go. go of self judgment. Judgment. Okay. And so if I'm going to continually, if, if, if this is what I'm feeding myself pop all day long is that I'm having, I got all these negative thoughts and these negative emotions. And then that's what you talk about the rumination yes. and then it spirals down to the black hole and then you, now you, the next thing you know, you're depressed. Yes. Like clinically depressed. Correct. Well, if that's all I'm telling myself that, man, I'm just, if I can't think positively, I must be depressed. We're not, the, the brain is a negativity machine, Pop. You know this. Right. Right. The brain is going to feed us negative yep. information all the time. <laughs> right. Yes. And right. if our goal or if we, how we measure success or whether we're anxious or depressed is how many positive thoughts there are to counter the negative thoughts, we're going to lose. Correct. That is a losing battle. Right. And so instead just say, look, okay, a thought, my brain is, look, my brain, bless its heart, is trying to keep me safe. Right. Right. So if it tells me, no, don't go introduce yourself to that person. Don't go to that job interview. Whoa, man, you definitely need a drink today. Like that's going to keep your, you safe right. in your right. brain's mind and comfortable. Correct. So in order to, to pursue our values and get out of that comfort zone, we have to be willing to feel uncomfortable. That's and right. If we're not willing to then deep, like experience the negative thoughts and emotions and see, all right, how can I just disconnect with this? Instead of using up all my attention and energy, trying to change it or control it. Why can't I just accept that my brain is going to feed me negative crap defuse from it and know that it's just a, it's just a bit of language. Right? If my brain tells me I suck, great. Fantastic story, brain. I can still go work out. I can still not have a drink. I can still go to that job interview. Yes. So we talk about a lot, the, um, the amygdala and the fear response and that primitive brain that does a great <laughs> trying to talk us out of anything. Right. And just keep us in that, that cave, that, that like ancient cave. And, and we don't necessarily have the saber toothed tiger anymore, but that starts that, that still manifests itself yes. in other ways. Right. So we talk about, so one thing that I noticed is the mindfulness meditation and breathing is that intended to get people out of the parasympathetic response. Right. So the autonomic nervous system is made, you've got the, the sympathetic response, which is the uncontrolled fear response. Yes. Then you've got the parasympathetic, that's your rest and digest or whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, your, your breathing. So there's, this is, there's a lot of, there's two sides to this, to this ball game, I think, okay. in terms of where people believe. I believe that what breathing and mindfulness does is controls the one thing internally that we can control our attention. Oh, okay. So by, by focusing on my breath, by fo where's your breath happening in the present moment? 
Correct. We can have a, we can have a philosophical discussion about where our breath is happening internally or externally. Yeah. But right, it's happening right here, right now. Correct. Correct. And if I, where does anxiety and depression live? For the most right. part, they live yeah. in the past and yeah. in the future. Okay, great, right? Right. Correct. For me and other people disagree. Depression, for the most part, lives in the past. Mm. Memories, what I didn't accomplish, regrets, yeah. all that. All right. And anxiety lives in the future. What ifs? What's going to happen? Oh, this pandemic is killing people's anxiety right now. Yes. Yes. And so breathing, mindfulness, this, this idea that I can keep all of my attention and energy in the present moment for even short periods of time is a relief because anxiety is limited. Sorry. Attention is limited. Yes. So if I've got it centered and controlled in the present moment, I just don't have the attentional capacity to be focusing on the future of the past right now. That's right. So by, by focusing on my breathing, yes, will it eventually calm you down? Probably, but not always. That should not be the measuring stick in my okay. mind. Okay. Right? Okay. That's good. None of the idea of act is to reduce anxiety. Okay. And people sometimes get all bent out of shape about that. Yeah. I, I'm not promising a reduction in anxiety. I'm promising that despite anxiety, you can still live a meaningful life. I love and, that. And then guess what? As a result of that, if you can do that without the hidden agenda that you're still trying to control your anxiety or reduce it, it will reduce. If you're not paying attention to your anxiety, but doing valued behaviors and actions and diffusing from these unhelpful thoughts, you're, the anxiety will dissipate. But it's a skill. Man, Pop, I'm telling you, you got to work hard and act. It's, it's, like, it's, it's daily. Like You're not going to go to the gym and spend eight hours busting out your biceps and that's it you never have to work out your biceps again that's not the way it correct works. Yeah, correct correct um zig ziglar said it best he said motive <laughs> he said it like motivation is like bathing you have to do it every day and i think that's the same thing for act you have to do these things every day you have to be it's nutrition um, the approaches that i use in my life i have to be mindful of my nutrition what am i putting in my body i know that you know a bad diet leads to inflammation and depression markers i just have to watch that i know it if i'm eating junk food all day i'm gonna start to look crappy feel crappy have less energy. and not just inflammation in your body inflammation yeah, in your, in your brain, brain there we go which go actually back. and the, and drinking and poor diet as we're talking about the hippocampus reduce yes. the functionality and size of that area which controls and simplistically helps control the amygdala and that fear response mm. but you know one thing that i wanted to to talk to you about that motivation and this is something that i, that I talk about the some of the clients that I do work on skills of, of recovery as a performance. I see recovery and sobriety as a performance every day. I love it. What do you do in every day to work out, to do a mental workout, find your valued actions that keep you on that, that road West. Yes. Right. But motivation, it's interesting. Most people that are looking to be sober are motivated to be sober. The disconnect is commitment. Mm. Oh yes. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I, I've never met a person yet. I'm sure there are, but if you're seeking therapy or, or help, you've recognized that you are motivated to stop drinking. You are motivated to stay. What, where you, what you can't get to yet is the commitment piece. Yes. Correct. And so what act does is it helps build a set of skills that lead to committed action toward whatever values, whatever goals that you have. I love and so, that. And so that's, where the, the intervention really is, but it's work, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's daily work to do the mindfulness skills, to do the diffusion skills, 
acceptance is an extremely difficult skill to true be able to make room for and accept an emotional state and not try to push it away or deny it or compartmentalize it or bottle it up. Like that's hard work. Acceptance is key. Um, you know, I'm gonna put stuff in the show notes and I want you guys to put that in your subconscious now that you're probably not willing to accept that you have to make a really hardcore commitment to get to that next level. So it goes hand in hand, this mm -hmm. acceptance and commitment. So this is an evidence-based therapy, um, usually takes 12 to 16 sessions or do you think it's it more? It varies. I mean, it just it depends on how hard, I mean, if people are work, it depends on what their level of is at that point. But in any, whether it's an athlete or someone in recovery or just someone who's just dealing with life anxiety and depression, um, some people, it takes longer to get through some steps, you know, are really like my really like cognitive people that are very logical and, you know, diffusion comes very easy. They already are very aware of their thoughts. And so being able to kind of use the diffusion skills to separate is, is something that comes naturally. Then we get to like acceptance and having to really like look at their emotions because part of acceptance is acknowledging, right? Yes. You got to acknowledge, I am experiencing a feeling of anxiety. I am experiencing emotions of depression. And if you know, there's, there's a way that we talk about emotions in English that I don't care for, right? You are pop. I am John. If I then say I am anxious, that means that's oh, who I am. Wow. Correct. Right? If I say I am depressed, that means that's a, that's a permanent thing about myself. It is. Right? Yeah. Emotions by their very nature are temporary and transient. Yes. So language is a huge part of ACT. How do we use language and cognition to defuse and kind of separate ourselves and acknowledge emotion and, and thoughts? Like I'm experiencing feelings of anxiety. That feels way more manageable than I am depressed. Correct. I like that. It's how you frame it. It's all like part of thought reframing and just that whole reframing concept. Um, we was taught, we just did an episode on cognitive behavioral therapy and thought reframing. And I think that goes right in that place right into it. Um, how do you really look at the reality? Like what is really happening versus what you're like watching that language, that language, the mind and everything plays a hardcore role. Like how does trauma play into, um, depression anxiety and these things well and that's a that's a tough one for me especially with act and this was this was something i learned uh with, i spent about five years working with uh, special operations uh at fort bragg north carolina um in the army wow that's, and, that's cool that's cool and most of it was performance-based, right? Just trying to get them to perform better at whatever, whatever task and, and specific job they had. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I had to really make clear was like, listen, I care about your life experiences and what has happened. Right. Right. But our focus is going to be in the present. Got you. Got right? it. Our focus is going to be right here, right now. Now, if there are thoughts and emotions that are that you ruminate on and are still triggered by things that happened in the past then yes we will we will deal with the acceptance of those emotions the diffusion of the, that thinking the mindfulness skills that that come with uh this idea of being able to keep our attention anchored in the present moment but that probably 
unless they, I mean, unless processing it, you know, really processing and regurgitating, kind of reliving is something that they feel like they really want to do. That's not something I'm going to push. Okay. So whatever trauma was experienced, I acknowledge it as something that was important and potentially guided their, their lives and deviated where they could have gone or would have gone or didn't go or, or did go. But our focus is going to be in what are the thoughts you're having right now? What are the emotions you're having right now? And how can we keep your attention in the present so you don't have to compartmentalize or push away something? You can, okay. simp- you, you can accept it, that radical acceptance. Yes. Right? The, the, it, within the field of performance psychology, the biggest thing that I consider insanity is trying to control things we can't control. Okay. All right. So if I'm using energy, trying to control an emotion, control another person, control a thought, push it away, try to deny that I'm having it, then I'm putting a lot, a lot of effort and energy into that. And it's going to come back. Correct. Like, I'm not going to get you to forget about some form of trauma. Right. Nobody is. Right. But I can teach you to be a person who pursues their values in the present moment focuses on what they're doing with their time now, what they're doing with their thoughts, their emotions, their experiences, and how to live a full life um, despite what all those types of experiences. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. Like, look, I'm, trauma is miserable. Right. And, and people have experienced, you know, they you know, talk about big T, little t trauma. Um, I just think that if we can focus on how that's impacting my life right now. Yes. Then that's what I want to attack. I love that. I love that because I, I will go like for me, like oh, one form of trauma for most people is relationship trauma. Maybe you're going through a divorce or something like that, but then you really get stuck. Now, if you could stuck. either. That's yeah, right. Where you don't want people want to get people unstuck, right? And then the best way to do that is to figure out how what we can focus on now in the present to help you the values that can help get you out of being stuck, which is beautiful because it's now we have a direction in which we're going. And I think I can give a a good example of kind of some first world trauma. I don't know if you're a football fan, but I am. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so so a number of years ago, the the Falcons played the the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Yes. Right? Falcons were up big. Tom Brady comes back, does his magic. Yes. Patriots win. Do I have to work with Matt Ryan on the trauma of losing that Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean, is that where we're going to put our effort? Yeah, yeah. Right. Is that you, where we're going to put our no, time into no. kind of reliving and, no. man, you could have done this and coach yeah. made a bad call and you yeah. made a bad pass? No. Like, yeah. is that what I'm going to – is this what we're going to put our energy into? No. Oh, man, I'm going to put my energy into – all right, you get dragged to the past. I love the word you just used, stuck. Yeah. You get stuck in the past on that Super Bowl loss. Yeah. Guaranteed. Great. Normal. Right. A lot of act is about normalizing and naturalizing things. Yes. Like, I should feel anxious because I lost the last Super Bowl. That's a, that's a normal feeling. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I have to be stuck there. So if I can drag my attention back to the present and stay in the present right. for more time than not, let's say that I've I'm in the present 40% of the time. And after working with me in the present 70% of the time, that's a win. Major win, major win, major. So, so 
I guess that would be how I, I mean, and again, that's a first world trauma, right? Yes. <laughs> Losing a right. Super Bowl. Correct. Compared correct. To, what, to, to what people have experienced. Right. But that's, I, I don't necessarily see it philosophically different. Yeah, I understand. I understand. And I respect that. Um, so I want to shift a bit to the, the you guys at Blend recently, I think it was about two weeks ago, launched the Hippocampus training yeah. um, program. And that's fascinating to me for a bunch of reasons. Now, briefly, can you explain the importance of what the Hippocampus is, the importance of it and the importance of the training? Because yeah. that's so fascinating to me. I mean, we picked the Hippocampus. Um, because it kind of had a catch. I mean, train your hippo, train your hippocampus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's an area that exists on in both hemispheres of the brain, shaped like a little horse, a seahorse. Um, that's where the name came from. But essentially, like the main function of the hippocampus is memory, learning, and to and there's some uh, some evidence around emotional regulation to do with the the amygdala as well as the um, PCC and ACC, but that's, you know, going into the weeds a little bit on it. But anyway, the hippocampus was seemed like a good place to, to, to take action. Okay. Right? Um, because that area of the brain in particular is one that is heavily influenced by nutrition to include alcohol. Okay. Right. Sleep, okay. exercise and cognitive training. Right? And so if we could figure out a way to put a panel together of experts in all four of those areas and talk through, here's what the mechanisms are that create uh, hippocampal growth or functioning via nutrition, exercise, sleep, cognitive training, and then figure out how all of those kind of blend together and work together, uh, that is going to create a pattern, a, a habit, uh, a routine that obviously nutrition, sleep, exercise, and brain training are good for a heck of a lot more than the hippocampus. But if I can focus on that and say, hey, by doing this, I can improve my memory. I can slow cognitive decline. I can learn more skills more effectively and, uh, uh, and efficiently. And I can just function at a higher level and regulate my emotions better. I feel like that's something that everybody can get on board with. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, by combining those four things and seeing where can we put in little interventions, nothing life altering, but like Brooke, for example, you know, she led the, the piece on sleep. Don't bring your phone into the bedroom. Yes, correct. Leave, leave screen time out, not only based on like the blue light and all that that goes into your eyes, but also the content. I mean, right now, especially people are trolling the news. And then they get the ruminating thoughts. They're trolling right. social media and it's like, I'm not good enough and all that social comparison and Instagram and Facebook and yeah, Twitter I, and whatever. Powerful, powerful, powerful. And so what we hope to accomplish is just, Hey, here's some small changes you can make in your life that are going to have effects well beyond the hippocampus. But in one area that we can improve is memory, learning, slowing cognitive decline and emotional regulation. Wow. And people so often think that memory, that people say, I have a bad memory, right? Right. I get it. Really, what I would say is I could diagnose three quarters of those people with bad attention. Mm, right? Bad attention. Uh, that's deep, man. You know, I like it, that. 
if I'm if I'm watching a TV show, but I'm also playing on my phone, right? Like, I'm not going to remember what happened in that TV show or that movie. Correct. That's Correct. not because I have a bad memory. It's because my attention wasn't on the thing I was trying to pay attention to. If I'm in math class and I'm trying to learn algebra, and I'm on my phone or I'm daydreaming or off somewhere, of course I'm not going to remember what the teacher talked about. Right. So it has nothing to do with how your brain was able to encode long-term memory and move your working memory into your long-term memory. That's not, that's irrelevant. If the, the antecedent to that was you weren't paying attention, mm. but that's not always intentional, right? We, right. we do pop, we daydream <laughs> yes. and our minds wander. It does wander. Right? Correct. The average span of sustained attention for a person right now is averaged in at, wait for it, seven seconds <laughs> without any distraction. Wow. That's bad. But That's what we dumb. have is these huge periods of mind wandering. Yes. So if we can practice the mindfulness skills, exit nutrition, all at sleep, if we can harness all of those skills together to improve sustained attention, but more importantly, reduce those periods of mind wandering, we're going to learn things a lot better. We're going to remember things a lot more vividly. Like when I'm playing with my kid, I want to be 100% there Correct. in the that's, present moment because I will never have a three and a half year old again. That's right. I will never have a kid, you know, again, that like is desperately seeking for me to play with him. And if I'm on my phone or I'm yeah. reading a book or I'm watching news or something while I'm trying to play with him, I'm not getting in as much as I can out of that experience. That's, that's it's true. like it's like getting a massage with a wetsuit on. Right? Correct, correct. I'm, I'm just not getting what I should be getting or could be getting out of that. Correct, correct. Wow, thank you for that so much because uh, that phones is, uh, there is a gift and a curse sometimes for some people. And even for me, I realized that uh, my efficiency and productivity is diminished because the brain doesn't, the brain wants to focus so much. Like it really does. If you, but if you keep distracting it, one new task, every tab, oh, I'll go ahead and this app this person and then i'm talking to this but after a while your mind just starts to get scrambled and it shuts down a bit and i've been mindful of that like if i'm why if i'm working on my youtube work on youtube if i'm doing mm -hmm. the podcast to make sure i'm all in right because there's times where i was recording a podcast and then i my, like a, a dinger come on the phone and i'm like this and i realize you're live you have to stay focused right and and that's important um let me ask you a question about memory because i have a uh, i have a person in my life that that they they mean a lot to me right and i was talking to brooke about this a bit they have a the they have genetically alzheimer's is in their family they have to so they they deal with that and they have this fear and that they're at an age now where they're starting to feel like maybe they're seeing that mental decline but this is the thing this person does everything right that they're, they're they have a great diet they want to they 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 don't they lost a lot of weight they want a good healthy ketogenic diet takes all their vitamins sleeps really well um, lives just a really normal life. And uh, I don't, I'm trying to figure out, I don't want them to get on that medication that they give people. They want to give them some type of epileptic medication, which kind of mm -hmm. changes their personality. And it's just a bad medication. Like the mm -hmm. side effects are way worse than just what they're giving it to them for. So I was thinking when you, when I was thinking about the hippocampus, that's part of the brain that maybe could be improved to help. Is there any link with 
the hippocampus training and probably reducing symptoms of Alzheimer's? Um, well, that's that, that's where you talk about that other 25% that's not just an attention issue, right? I mean, there's right, no right. escaping genetics sometimes. Right. Um, I think what I would say to that is new research has suggested that um, certain sleep patterns and mm. healthy non-alcohol, I mean, I'm sure this person's not drinking, but non-alcohol-induced sleep is it clears a toxin out of the brain that has been linked to Alzheimer's. Mm, okay. So, and there it goes, it's a lot more complex than that, but essentially like, but sleep is a key factor. Exercise is a key factor. Okay. And then cognitive training is a key factor to the point, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of like Lumosity and, and some of these yes, other- Yes, light right? therapy, right? Uh-huh. Um, so Lumosity, well, Lumosity is like this like brain training app, okay. right? You can do these different like memory games and stuff like that. And what I would say to that is that Lumosity is like having a good stretch, but it's okay. not building muscle. Got it. Got it. As it, okay. as it relates to memory. Correct. How do you um, build memory muscle? Well, that's where the mindfulness skills come in. Got it. That's where the meditation, mindfulness, um, right. you know, these are you know, things that are related to things like neuroplasticity, right, you know, the right. ability to create new pathways in the brain. So one thing is to create habits that deviate from your routine norm, right? And I mean, right. and, and this could be as simple as you put your right shoe on first, for the next week, put your left shoe on first, I mean, right? You drive a certain way to, to work, drive a different way to work. Right. You brush your teeth with your right hand, brush your teeth with your left hand. Wow. And Love so it. by doing the kind of these, just these, some of these different things that, so they did it, there's this kind of fascinating study they did of London taxi drivers. And they found that their hippocamp, you know, functioning and size of their hippocampus was significantly bigger than some people in more of the general population, because okay. they were having to remember all these complex ways through London and, you know, different ways there's traffic here. So I'm gonna take this way. And so their, their brain was constantly having to create new pathways of, in terms of just geography and maps that helped, you know, grow wow. the hippocampus. Okay. So, you know, anything that gets us out of our kind of rote memory routine that makes us be adaptable and flexible in our thinking uh, is something that, that, that can help that neuroplasticity. I love it. I love it. That's so much value there. I mean, we really needed that on the podcast today. Thank you for bringing it. You brought it today. Um, and, <laughs> and that's inspirational because it gives people hope. And that's what we want. We want hope to let, you know, to know that we could do, we could make little changes in our life. Some people might think, okay, I have to go spend a lot of money, not realizing that you could just brush your teeth with a different hand and just do something different. Get out of your comfort zone and challenge yourself a bit. That's what I always try to learn something new every week. I'm like, I force myself, I'll go on YouTube and I say, okay, I want to learn how to build the cabinet. And they'll have some guy there that tells you everything from A to Z and it forces you to go into this new world. Like mm -hmm. you're getting these new, you're learning these new tools, you're learning this new thing and it's fun and it's project and goal oriented. Um, you know, John, this has been so insightful and so informative. You know, is there any general tips or anything that you could, that you learned in studying performance that we could apply to our everyday life? Yeah, I think I would say, I would highlight two things. Uh, one is that attention is controllable, right? right? 
But any coach or parent who's told their kid or a player, hey, man, just focus. That's like asking somebody to change the spark plugs in a car. Okay. Like, you, you can't just tell them. Like, there's, there's skills. This is a skill. Got Some it. people, yes, have a higher natural propensity for it than mm-hmm. others. But there's little thing we got to, we have to learn how to control our attention. And if we can control our attention from being in the past, from being in the future, then we are going to do skills more effectively. We're going to get more, life is more vivid. We, we can even find enjoyment in things that are mundane, whether it's driving or working out or sitting in class, like you got it. We got to learn to stay present. And then the other thing is like real happiness is the ability to, to experience the whole range of human emotion and still have a productive day where I've pursued my values and living in, in alignment with my values. It's not having to feel good all the time. That is such a garbage way of telling someone like, if you're not feeling good, then you're not happy. But that's what Facebook is telling us. That's what mm. Instagram is telling us. Like with all these fantasies, this Facebook fantasy yes, that I have to feel good to be happy. Right. Right. We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable and feeling anxious and feeling depressed some days and but knowing that it's temporary and that we can still pursue our values. So wow. Well, John, thank you so much for that. And ladies and gentlemen, we got it all today. That's enough to take us through the year. We got <laughs> John, thank you so much. So before you go, can you let everyone know where they can reach you and a little bit more about um how they can find you if they want to reach out to you for any speaking engagements or anything yeah. like that? Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at, at Blend Health. Uh, my email address is John Evans, J-O-H-N-E-V-A-N-S at blendhealth.com. Blend is just B-L-N-D. Um, and, you know, our, our website is up, you know, www.blendhealth.com. Um, I, I would love to hear from anybody. I love just providing some feedback, having conversations with people, uh, convincing people that there's a different way to mental health than some of the traditional control approaches. Yeah. Um, it's out there. It's, and it just takes, it's, a, it's skills that you can build and it can be done. Thank you very much, John. And for everyone, you, you guys know that blend is an integrative approach to mental health and performance and recovery. And the Sober's Dope podcast are friends with the blend family. John, thank you so much for blessing us on this Monday morning. God bless you and your family and have a wonderful day, my friend. I appreciate that, Pop. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. All right. Likewise. Take care, my friend. All right. All right.